do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Hello, my name is Lisa Hienberger, and I'm here with uh, Nevena Radojnoska, who's an assistant professor at um, EM Lyon in France. And she has just been presenting her work in our research seminar series at the Entrepreneurship Institute. And today, I would like to ask Nevena about her really fascinating work with homelessness. Um, so could you explain a little bit more um, to our audience you know, what, it, uh, what the topic of homelessness is really about and what kind of uh, work have you been doing with, with homeless people? Sure, yes. Um, so I um, so was based on a project that I did early in my in my studies, um, in which I was a volunteer and also a sort of participant um, observer in, in a homeless shelter uh, in Paris. So it's a rather particular context. Uh, Paris is a very saturated city in terms of the needs uh, of the homeless, has a very severe housing crisis. And so you see a lot of the the complications of the homeless population uh, coming in, in there. And what I was interested in um, was really understanding how these organizations are managing uh, the fact that they have very scarce resources and such a high demand uh, and basically what treatment um, of different homeless people looks like in terms of the services they can provide, but also how they have to make very tough choices uh, in terms of who's allowed to have certain exemptions or certain uh, specialized, let's say, services and, and who is uh, prevented from that. Wow, and when you were doing this research, uh, you were sort of part of this community yourself. Uh, yes, for... Mm -hmm. So how, how was that? I mean, did you feel uh, close to the people who, who actually suffer from homelessness? Uh, so I, it's, uh, I was there for, let's say, three months, uh, quite full-time uh, every day, and so... I, it would be hard to say that I, I felt I completely understood everything about them in, in that short period of time, but it did uh, give me a, a very different perspective on uh, sort of the conditions that bring people to homelessness. And particularly one of the things that, that struck me was how easy it is to fall into this kind of population of homeless people. Um, in a lot of cases, it was people who uh, had just lo lost a job or were maybe getting divorced. Uh, were victims of domestic abuse and so in other situations uh, if this had been dealt with rather quickly they could have jumped back uh, and instead in many cases they ended up spiraling uh, into basically on and off uh, homelessness and and so I was part of the organization in that I participated in all the activities I was there at the welcome desk I was there handing out uh, meal cards uh, but I also in some ways had the the privilege uh, of being able to step back and, and kind of come home and write my notes um, and knowing that I, uh, I would leave at some point, unfortunately, and, and both the people who worked there, the social workers um, and the homeless were, were in some ways stuck in, in this situation for a much longer time. Wow. Do you think that people have a, a sort of a bias against homeless uh, people thinking that, you know, maybe they deserve being homeless and, and they don't really understand that uh, you know, they have a certain trajectory mm -hmm. which is 
you know, perhaps anyone, you know, could end up being homeless. Yes, for sure. I think there's a number of uh, biases and, and misconceptions that people tend to have um, about the homeless. Uh, part of that is is understanding also some of these people were uh, very highly educated and had professional careers and were migrants, uh, for instance, in some cases. And so uh, in any other situation, if they hadn't been forced to leave their countries, they wouldn't have been on the street. They would have been exercising their professional roles like, like you and I, like anyone. Uh, and the fact that they came to a, to a new country, knew no one, had no housing, again, puts them in this um, kind of spiral. One of the very practical things that I was a bit shocked by is how important it is to have a fixed address somewhere, not even a home, but just a place where you can send your mail and for anything that's administrative, um, getting a health card, getting any kind of uh, government support, you need that. And that ended up being a huge problem for people who otherwise might have had resources to, to bounce back, but were missing this very key administrative uh, element that, that basically mm. puts them in this uh, very difficult situation. So how could you actually then help homeless people get out of that situation? Yeah, so uh, one thing is that a number of these organizations, like the one that I, I worked in, provide uh, basically mailing services. And so they have a certain quota of addresses that they're allowed to, uh, or people that they're allowed to bring on uh, as having an address based in the organization. And so for that, they receive their mail and they can then start all sorts of administrative procedures. Uh, but again, the demand is much, much higher than the supply. And so uh, part of our, our work at the organization was also to find out what other structures or um, associations or even government uh, agencies in some cases would provide at least this, uh, this service for them. Mm -hmm. And are there things that we could do as a society also to help uh, people not to become homeless? So actually getting to the, the root of <laughs> On the yeah. matter, oh, that's a very difficult question, <laughs> I guess. It is for sure, and it's, of course, yes, the question that I think ultimately I, I would have wanted to uh, to answer even in the small project. Um, I mean, f funding is, of course, a, a huge issue. I know uh, a number of um, cities, and including Vancouver, I believe, have uh, adopted this more housing-first approach, uh, which, again, a big part of the problem in homelessness is that there's so many situations that are in a catch-22 um, kind of version in which if you don't have a home, it's much harder to keep a stable job. And if you don't have a stable job, it's much harder to keep a stable home. Um, and so people essentially don't know at which end of this spiral to, to begin. Um, and so in some cases, uh, governments have taken very clear stances and said, um, you know, forgetting all the other issues that may be there, it might be a mental health issue, it might be a, a work um, and employment issue, we're going to start with providing people with uh, some sort of stable housing. And from there, we'll basically take uh, take the other question. So, I mean, that's certainly uh, one way. The the other way that I uh, experienced in uh, in this organization was sort of with the system that uh, social workers have for redirecting people to other uh, institutions that might help them. So, it, having maybe a single entry point in which uh, all people can come and and being well informed of you know whether you're eligible for a refugee status, then that goes to a certain uh, type of organization because again a lot of the work that we were doing was dispatching people um, and that takes a toll both kind of physically and, and emotionally on once you've been transferred a number of times. Yeah. And you mentioned before that there are certain communities that perhaps are more prone to become homeless. Would that could be like migrants mm -hmm. or women that have suffered abuse. Um, are there like particular uh, activities that we could imagine doing, you know, for those particular communities, or are there, and are there other communities that are um, 
more sort of vulnerable? Yeah, so one of the the really interesting things that um, that I experienced and that was part of my questioning about the organization was sort of what do you do with the people who are so-called chronically homeless, so who have been maybe on the street 5, 10, 15 years uh, and have really been removed from the labor system, from the housing system, uh, versus those who, like I mentioned, it might just be that they recently lost their job and um, weren't able to pay one month of rent and so have fallen into this a bit uh, more of an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways, uh, the ones that are chronically homeless require really a lot of uh, resources. Um, there are organizations, um, of course, like kind of work social, you know, social enterprises um, that basically work with people who have been unemployed for a long time and try to get them back into a rhythm of life because that's one of the things you, you lose uh, most when you're homeless is having some sort of set uh, schedule mm-hmm. and rhythm. Um, but the other thing I think is is understanding the difference between the chronic and uh, those who are in kind of an emergency uh, homeless situation. And especially for, for the latter, it's really important to uh, to get them back on their feet as, as soon as possible because as soon as they spend you know, a month or two on the streets, they start mm-hmm. uh, deteriorating very quickly. Um, and it's kind of at that crucial time when you can uh, help them redo their CV, you can help them connect to other organizations um, and, and basically validate their employment or housing, uh, whatever needs to be kind of dealt with first. Okay. And, and how about, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about myself as a citizen, as what can I do you know, to help <laughs> in terms of, of, of actually, not maybe not solving, but at least alleviating this problem? Mm. Um, should I be volunteering? You know, should I be setting up a new social enterprise? You know, what, what would you suggest? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways. I mean, it's never, uh, again, the demand is so high, especially in, in places like Paris, that it's almost you know, everything you could do would be, uh, would be helpful to some extent. Um, they certainly, volunteering for organizations uh, can mean a lot of things. Uh, they need help on the day-to-day basis, uh, but also increasingly uh, they need help with, with things that are not just um, meeting basic needs, but that are meeting kind of higher needs let's say the homeless, so in, in the organization I worked, someone founded a theater workshop, and basically that's both an activity that the homeless could do, but really it became um, something that they were very proud of. They ended up doing a documentary about it, and so in a way that's working more on the cultural side of things and saying changing the image of who the homeless are, changing the perception we have of them as uh, you know someone who just needs money and a shelter, but in fact they also have these very cultural needs that um, the rest of us do. Um, so it's volunteering also, in, in again, in, in ways that uh, might be more specific to your personal skills. Um, as, as a citizen, there's also uh, a number of organizations that work more on the ground because there are um, homeless people who don't feel comfortable approaching uh, establishments or organizations or institutions, and they prefer to basically carve out their space um, on the street. And so other citizens volunteer for... Um, basically vans that um, patrol a certain area and hand out either medical um, utilities or or food or just simply go up and and talk to um, people and provide some sort of human connection that's Mm -hmm. that's often missing as well. And um, the the social organizations themselves that you have been studying, um, how can they be working better with this beneficiary group? Uh, if we should call it that way, because mm-hmm. that also <laughs> in itself may be a term that is a little bit loaded. Yes. Um, are there suggestions for social organizations in order for them to have more impact um, and, and actually help the uh, homeless people in a better way, uh, you know, thanks to your research on the, on the topic? Mm-hmm. 
So there's, uh, I think this is maybe less the case for the um, the homeless, the population of, of organizations that deal with uh, homelessness, but in a broader sense, those that deal with social issue, whether it's unemployment, um, precariousness, uh, sort of discrimination in a work uh, setting. A lot of what I was surprised initially by is how little connection there is between organizations that seem to be doing similar work. So I had the benefit of essentially going to different organizations, hearing uh, what they were doing, who their beneficiary populations were, uh, and found a lot of connections with them. But I think in a lot of cases, these organizations are so on the ground and so caught up in the day-to-day -day work that they do that it's hard to spend time networking, essentially, or hard to spend time uh, figuring out what other actors are doing similar things. Um, and that's that's been improving, I think, in the time that um, since I've done since I've done the research and since I've been following it. Uh, but I think it was one of the major issues of both figuring out who's doing similar work, um, but also there's a reality of competition among some of the organizations, uh, both for government resources, for volunteers, uh, including. And so there's um, something to be done. I'm not entirely sure what, uh, but in terms of making it less of a competitive system, mm -hmm. Um, so that, again, there's one idea of having more of a central uh, single point of entry, um, which could then dispatch people where their, their needs could be best served, um, which is not always happening right now because um, a particular organization might have uh, in their interest to keep a beneficiary that's not best served by their own, um, by, their own by what they're able to offer themselves. Right, yeah, so sort of self-perpetuating <laughs> themselves and the problem. Yeah. Right, in right. some ways, yeah. Okay. In, in yeah. not an, I think, a, not a maleficent way, right, right not consciously, yes. but in the sense that if, mm -hmm. if we don't have enough uh, beneficiaries to prove why we're being useful, then we're gonna have you know, our right. funding cut, uh, which creates a whole mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. host of other problems, of course, so. Of course, yeah. Very interesting, and uh, I also wanted to return to your role as a researcher. Um, I guess that it must be quite tough you know, to be in this environment and see a lot of suffering, uh, did that take a toll on you as, as a person, you know, during this time? Was it difficult to actually, you know, sleep at night, you know, when you had seen certain difficult um, mm. scenes, for example, or suffering? Yeah, it is very difficult. I have to say it's, it's difficult both emotionally when you're there. It's difficult afterwards in terms of what you are able to do with your research. And I think I still feel inadequate in some ways um, that I've done enough to to report back to actually tackle the questions that you've just asked me um, it's something that I grapple with a lot but sometimes our own daily lives of, of publishing and um, and writing our papers also take a toll on that and, and make it harder to connect back to to what we actually saw and how we could improve it um, I think also it, it requires uh, a lot, and I try to be very conscious throughout of uh, not being 100% in my researcher role when it was not called for. And so there were situations where uh, you're always half observing, half doing something in, um, in action, and sometimes you need to completely leave one side and say, you know, this is a human relation that needs to be taken care of right now and, and forget the interview or forget the observations or forget data that I would have uh, collected and, and so that part's um, hard and then I think the last thing is, is something that I mentioned before which is this consciousness that I'm able to leave um, when in a sense when I decide to and um, 
or in a sense leaving behind the people who are still there doing this uh, day in and day out. Um, and again, sort of a moral obligation that I think always feels you know, that I need to work more on in terms of, uh, yes, what can I, can I do to solve this more than uh, document it? No, I mean, that's, I think it's a very humble <laughs> uh, stance you know, to your work because I'm, I'm sure that you, know, you have also had an impact on that organization despite being there, which is you know, difficult when you're mm. an ethnographer because in a way you're supposed to be a bit of fly on the wall but it's difficult to be like that when you're actually part of an organization right. that has issues and problems. So how do you deal with that of you know, being, trying to be objective, but at the same time sort of being part of the, the organization? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yes, in, in some ways it's whenever you can uh, carve out some space for yourself. So I, I know that there were you know, hours in the day when I would say I'm switching off in some ways my... my observant and my ethnographer hat and I would just be there present in the moment um, in some ways it's also maybe trying to bring that uh, type of hat more more engaged at least with the people who have kind of a decision-making role uh, and trying to share with them my experience what I think is um, you know could be not just improved but basically um, you know what I'm observing and whether they take that as, as information that they can use uh, to, to help their own services in any way without assuming that I know uh, what would be best for them. Um, but I think, yeah, the distant thing is, is quite difficult. I mean, I certainly, some days I needed to take off and <laughs> uh, if that meant physically not being present or mm -hmm. to say today I'm working entirely as, mm -hmm. uh, as the volunteer that, uh, that I said I would be working as and, and not as anything else. But do you think that this has been actually helpful for you and your research? Uh, to take that role of, of you know being part of the organization and not just being a bystander for sure yes I think um, as long as one is reflective I think that can be very helpful and and part of it is specifically looking at instances where there were moral dilemmas and I uh, I had to decide you know is this is this something that I even want to include uh, when I tell a story or not um, and and recognizing how you yourself feel in these situations, I think, is also um, is, is something that brings to light why you do the work, but also how you interpret it. And um, as you said, brings a different humility, I think, to to understanding a problem of this um, of this size and how it's actually impacting people on a very real, uh, tangible level on the ground. And I also wanted to ask, um, so that in your research, you distinguish between the concepts of equity. Inequality. Could you say something more about the difference between those two terms? Sure. So um, yes, it's something that can seem quite abstract, and <laughs> uh, but something I noticed uh, a lot when I was working um, in this particular organization. So in a broad sense, equality um, simply means that everyone receives the same treatment, for instance. Uh, whereas equity would mean that you take into consideration people's specific needs. Uh, and so it might mean that they actually receive something less or more depending on uh, how much need they're experiencing. So one concrete example of this, uh, as I mentioned, one of the jobs of the organization was to hand out monthly meal cards to the homeless that they can then use in other restaurants or places that would offer them meals. Um, and so an equality perspective would be to say uh, everyone receives one card on a first come, first come basis, uh, and that's, that's fair. Uh, and in reality, what often happened was that they took a much more equity type approach, which meant, well, some people probably need this meal more than others. That could be pregnant women. It could be people who weren't there the month before, so they weren't sure where they had gotten their meals. 
It could be newcomers to the organization, so they assumed uh, they've just arrived, they don't have any contacts or network. Um, and so in those cases, they might basically put aside a few meal cards um, for these people, and it was no longer the kind of fairness on a first-come, first-served basis. It was basically the, the social worker's interpretation of who might need this more. Um, and so in a grand scheme, it was maybe equitable because those who needed more received more, and those who needed less may have received less. Great. And also, maybe just a sort of a final question, but um, when now that you think back on, on your the research that you have been conducting and, and also think about sort of young scholars who are starting, uh, do you have any recommendations in terms of um, other, um, you know, either, you know, PG student okay. or young scholars who, who actually want to get into this field of sort of doing this type of ethnography or really the participant of uh, observing work that similar to what you have been doing? Uh, I mean, I think my advice, I don't know how pragmatic it is, uh, would be to not shy away from this kind of work if it's something that's important to you. I think um, young scholars can sometimes get advice on what's the best strategic way to advance their career and how to finish their work in a particular point in time. Um, and if it's an issue that really matters to you, I mean, this is something that I... Uh, even before I was I was doing research, I was really uh, passionate about and still am. Uh, and so I think if, if it's something that's important to you, that should drive um, the research and practical considerations do come into play. But, um, you know, it's, it's tough and um, both emotionally, like you said, and in terms of spending time, getting to know the organization, having access to it, making, you know, building trust with the people there. Um, but I think it's it's ultimately quite worth it. So <laughs> my advice would be to, to follow your heart in that sense, if, if that's something of interest. And um, and to there's quite a group of people I think who are uh, who are increasingly doing this kind of work um, in in different fields sometimes. So it might be that you also reach out to uh, to people more from anthropology or from other disciplines that uh, that have experience with this. And um, sometimes it's finding that community also that can. Know, boost your confidence that it's it's worth doing and it's possible to do it and and you should pursue it. Thank you so much, you. Nivena, for sharing. Thank you very much. If you still want to learn more, remember you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do better.